0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Box Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, John Saintamond. I'm a functional fitness athlete, trainer, and certified weightlifting coach in Bedford, Nova Scotia, Canada. Around the world, the coronavirus pandemic has seen fitness facilities, large and small, close their doors. Um, Some for only a matter of months, others longer, others less. Um, As an environment in which there are a significant number of shared touch surfaces and everyone is in close quarters, breathing heavily, uh, and as we know now, the uh, transmission of the virus has largely to do with uh, micro droplets uh, coming from our breath, it made perfect sense in the interest of public health and safety to close these environments. This was especially uh, necessary early. Um, in the earliest days of the pandemic, when it was a lot was still being learned about the virus and how it was transmitted and the populations that were most vulnerable to its effects. But it was still a hard pill to swallow for gym owners, coaches, and athletes alike. One thing that's important to recognize is that not all gyms operate the same way. Some gym memberships are, at a basic level, rental agreements. You pay a monthly fee to use the equipment in that facility, some operating 24 hours a day with key card access and little or no direct supervision and can at some times of the day be very high in traffic and in other times very low. Uh, others are group class fitness experiences, yoga, spin classes, dance, martial arts, zumba, boot camps, high intensity interval training, usually performed in much more limited numbers, maybe 10 to 30 or so, depending on the size of the facility, and usually under the supervision of one or more people leading a class or even coaching and correcting movement. Then there's a step down further, personal training, handled one-on-one or in small groups. Despite these differences in how they operate, when the pandemic hit, it meant that they all had to close, at least for the time being. Virtually every community Uh, is addressing the pandemic in variations of the same flavor. An initial lockdown used to minimize transmission to the highest degree possible while health officials poured over the data available to learn as much as they possibly could about the virus. Only those businesses deemed essential remained open, and even those businesses radically and immediately instituted changes in their operations in order to protect the public. Changes in their hours, directional signage to control traffic flow, limits on the number of people allowed in their location at the same time. Spacing markers to remind people to stay apart even when when lined up to pay for something. Uh, Closing off certain areas of their business. Moving to electronic payments only. The list goes on. My guests for a chat today are two of the most professional operators in the functional fitness space I've met in my travels so far. And I've discussed having them on the podcast a number of times, uh, and for various reasons it just hadn't happened yet. And then came the pandemic. Uh, When I saw the work that they were putting into getting their gym ready to reopen once health officials gave the industry, in our province anyway, the green light, I thought that might be a specific angle for our discussion that people would find interesting. How do you open a gym safely under today's circumstances? What are the measures that you have to put in place? How disruptive are they? How do you get members to actually follow these new measures? Dave Rafuse is the owner and founder of Blended Athletics in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Jason Davis is a longtime management consultant who worked with Dave frequently and ultimately joined Blended a couple of years ago, taking on a full-time role that would allow him to help Dave build the business from the inside. And a lot has happened in that time. Blended has grown its membership, expanded and renovated its facility, added full-time and part-time staff to an already impressive team, added programs, and was just working on another renovation when the closure brought about by COVID hit. Like many community-minded gyms, Blended moved its members online using the tools and technology we have available today, but also immediately started plotting a safe return to their physical space. So in 10 seconds, I talked to Dave and Jason about what that planning looked like and how getting back into the gym has taken shape while implementing thoughtful health and safety measures to protect members, staff, and the public at large. Jason Dave welcome to the box jumper podcast thank you for having us so um, before we get into um, what I suspect will be uh, a lengthy back and forth discussion about how how gyms have been able to safely reopen and um, and just maintain uh, procedures to to allow everyone to stay healthy while staying healthy <laughs> um, I, I'm uh, I, I'm very curious to have a quick conversation with you both about how you got into the the fitness industry. Um, you know, I, I've had brief conversations with you both about that topic off and on for years, but we've never really sat down and talk about talked about the, the specific progression about how you got introduced uh, to the fitness industry, what your backgrounds were in fitness before you found things like CrossFit and weightlifting and cross-training and that sort of thing that that ultimately became your careers. Um, so uh, Jason, why don't we start with you? I've, I've probably known you a little bit longer than I've known uh, Dave. Um, how, how did you get into this um, interesting area of business.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing, a lot of people don't know about Dave and I, is the first part of this story is probably going to sound very similar. So um, Dave and I went to St. of X together, actually. We were in kinesiology uh, there at the same time. Uh, I think we both had mentors as professors that really kind of uh, instilled a passion in us, not just in the fitness in in general, but in, in the business of fitness and in entrepreneurship as a whole. So that's kind of where that passion started. Um, from there, I left St. of X and got right into uh, the, the fitness business right away. I started personal training myself. And then that kind of progressed to a point where I realized I was in love with the fitness business, but not necessarily in love with personal training uh, myself. So I got into the business side of things. I got into the ownership with some nutritional clinics uh, and fitness businesses and then realized I hated being an operator uh, I loved the mm. business strategy. I hated the day-to-day grind that uh, basically what Dave has to do every day um, of being an owner-operator and started getting into some consulting work. Uh, so then I worked behind the scenes helping other fitness businesses. Um, and Blended was a client of mine at the time. And eventually Dave just started recruiting me over to come to Blended full time. And the more we, had conversations and, and we had some history together coming from St. of X. And it just became very clear to me that our visions aligned in a way that we could accomplish more together than we could apart. Uh, so right. then I, I came over uh, two and a half years ago or so uh, and have been at Blended ever since.
0: Cool. So, Dave, how about you? how did How did you decide that you wanted to? Uh, well, first of all, what w- what was your background in fitness in general? Be I mean, obviously, you were together in the kinesiology uh, track in your education. Was that were you always envisioning yourself as owning a a fitness related business? And how did that all come about?
2: No, so my coaching. I've been coaching now for fourteen years, but it it actually there's a there's a pause in my coaching career um, for about five or six years. Uh, I actually began my coaching career as a swim coach at 16 years old. And, uh, I coached a competitive swim team for seven years. And then after university, I actually got into the business side of business. Um, or I guess more so I got into sales. So I started selling photocopiers at Pitney Bowes. Uh, I got recruited and then uh, moved to Vancouver and and started doing uh, medical sales for Johnson and Johnson, and uh, and everything was just kind of pointing back to eventually opening and and operating a business of some sort at some point in time. And and at the time, my passion for fitness and the opportunity that I saw to move back to to back home, essentially, but uh, more specifically to Dartmouth um was to come back and open up blended. So that was kind of my pre-blended life and then, you know, we opened the doors in 2013. Mm-hmm. So we're 7 years in now and and Jason kind of summed up the rest of the story. So, uh, you know, our our meeting happened actually at Saint Events, Saint of X, and then um like he said, you know, after working with him as a consultant our visions aligned and I have very little ego when it comes to like my own name in any sense, like what I wanted to become successful, uh, or I want it blended to become successful. And, uh, and ultimately that just meant putting together a team that, uh, was going to be able to drive that home and just kind of filling in the holes where I needed to be and and uh, and kind of moving from there.
0: Now, I mean you've with Blended you've undertaken a number of expansions um, over the years that I'm aware of. Um, under- you know, yeah. certain, certainly, uh, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago you launched the Loft. I'm sure there was uh, at least an expansion or two prior to that, and there's been an expansion since then as well. Um, why don't you walk me through a little bit about what what your process was and was the was the expansion driven by demand or was it anticipating what you wanted to be able to deliver? Or was it a little bit of both? Uh,
2: <laughs> I I think that uh, the the one common theme of a lot of entrepreneurs is the the uh, it's almost like being addicted to gambling and that <laughs> feeling of of constantly pushing the envelope. But uh, in all seriousness, it, it was a combination, um, and it, 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 it there was no initial vision of what like this was all going to turn into. It's it's evolved over the seven years and uh, and a lot of that evolution came through seeing opportunities and kind of just kind of envisioning what we believed the market needed and and a lot of listening you know it was it was you know if if i could sum this all up you know through our expansions it was a matter of running a couple minor tests so the loft which was most certainly our largest um addition to our programming it started off as a saturday morning 9am class that we had designed and started running and we called it sweat at the time and we we began that class because you know as a crossfit affiliate at the time um you know we didn't have the opportunity to allow people to come in and trial a class and so running this 9am sweat class we eliminated all the skill and heavy lifting that um, we saw in our typical programming right. and uh and People loved it, and they're like, "Well, this is a great break from our, you know, our day to day throughout the course of the week. Like, it would be great to have this on Sunday." So we added on Sunday, and then all of a sudden, on the weekends, we ran one at nine a.m. and we ran one at one p.m. both Saturday and Sunday. And it started building, and then people were like, "Well, it would be nice to have this through the week too." And so we started running specifically to a very like specific demographic. One at, at nine a.m. and uh, and then it grew to running one at 9am and again at 6pm. And then we are like, you know what, if we were going to run this class, the way we really want to run this class, what would the space look like? And it was upon that, where we started creating the vision of what the loft was going to be. And mm-hmm. so I mean, in that sense, it fully, fully came from listening to our clients listening to what they wanted. And, uh, and kind of, growing within that a lot of the other expansions and, and renovations that we've gone through, um, you know, are, are quite fitting to the sign that we have sitting on the front of our building. Um, so, you know, our motto I'd say is pursuing excellence. And, uh, we, it's basically like our credo and, uh, we live and make decisions based on that. Uh-huh. And so from everything like our recent expansion of our locker rooms, um, it was, could this be done better? And mm-hmm. you know the answer is always going to be yes, and so it's just a matter of making the strategic moves and, and and ensuring that you know we continue to push the envelope and to continue to deliver a better experience and a better product uh, to our to our
1: current clients and members and, and to potential new members. And I think so. Of the things that Dave does well that he mentioned there is like one of the things he's romantic about giving the experience to our members of like the culture that we're trying to build. Like we want to make sure we always deliver that great experience to them. How we deliver that, I don't think that's something either Dave or I are romantic about. And so if it comes to like making the decision to leave CrossFit about a year ago or offering new services in our program, like Dave's very open-minded to the future, which I think has helped him in his listening and and helping Mm -hmm. direct where these renovations and expansions go and have it be like about the experience to our members and creating that culture and less about getting romantic about how we deliver on
0: that. Right. How many programs, uh, I mean, if if you think of them in an an insular way, which you you may not, because they certainly have Crossover with one another, but um, you know, at least internally, a- as you identify a program, how many programs do you currently run in your facility?
2: We run two. Um, our general basis is, is strength, period, and mm-hmm. so both programs have um, strength as their overlying um, or our overlying desire and what we want to offer. The only difference is one program, um, which we refer to as Ground Zero which was a, a replacement of essentially our CrossFit programming. So um, that program is has a strength bias where our loft programming, still having a strength component to it, it has more of a conditioning bias.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, how many members are you serving currently?
2: Today or pre-COVID? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that that was going to lead to my next question, but yeah let, let's talk about like what what how were things sitting before COVID interrupted your plans
2: great. We were expanding mm-hmm. and renovating and spending a lot of money doing <laughs> <laughs> no the, the, from a I membership mean, perspective, um yeah. you know we we've we've designed the gym to be able to to like well pre-COVID. I should say, we designed the gym to be able to service about 500 people a day. Mm -hmm. And so based on those numbers, our capacity with regards to how many full-time members that we could um, essentially have within this facility um, Mm -hmm. upon these expansions that we have just currently made was 600. We were sitting around 350 EFTs, so people who are on essentially a monthly renewal, and then another 300 people that were on punch cards. And those individuals would vary from anywhere from like using it from, you know, a couple times a month if they traveled and they, they were simply here on travel to, you know, one or two times a week. Um, and then a big part of our business that often goes, uh, you know, off to the side when in, all, in a lot of these conversations is personal training. And we, we do quite a bit of that. So we pre-COVID, we were doing about, uh, was it about 300 hours, Jason, somewhere in or around there? Yeah. So we were doing about 300 hours of personal training on top of that, which equated to, you know, just about another, you know, 70 to 80 additional members that only did personal training.
0: Right. Is there a, is there a separate space for that? Or, or is that a service that's uh, offered within the spaces that you use for the other services?
2: Yeah, so that's a separate space. So, so within Blended, if to kind of describe the space to uh, listeners, there's, there's three totally separate rooms. So our functional fitness room where we run our Ground Zero classes, that's 3,400 square feet. Uh, it's got 90 feet of rig down the one wall, um, and, and the space is essentially 100 feet by 34 feet wide. Um, so that space we run pre COVID, we were running eight classes a day in that space. And then, um, from there we had the, what we call just open gym space. And that's where our personal training team really were situated. And, uh, you know, we didn't run any classes in that space at all. So it was a space where members could come and partake in like their own programming, or if they just wanted to go for a row or bike or do some skill work, they could, and personal trainers, um, got to utilize that space to train their clients. And then our third and final space, which, uh, we just recently finished our, uh, our kind of renovations and updates on is the loft, which we did open up last year, but in the, in the moves that we made with our locker rooms, we actually ended up having to redesign it, um, and lay it out. So that space is another 2,400 square feet, just, to, just over that actually, um, and that's laid out um, primarily with uh, like a lot of conditioning equipment. So within that space, we have five assault runners, five skiers, five echo bikes, five rowers. We have 60 feet by 15 feet of turf. Um, and then, you know, not a, we, we have barbells upstairs. We don't utilize them to the same extent we do downstairs, but we right. use a lot more kettlebells, dumbbells. Um, and, and typically we use plates, but just as plates. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Hmm.
0: And so uh, let's say in your functional fitness area, um, what would, what would the class cap for that have been prior to COVID
2: before COVID it, um, was 20 people. And now, right now we're operating at 12. So we have 12 squat racks within the space. So one of the things, mm. and this is gonna kind of dig into where you want to take this conversation. So if it's yeah. okay to kind of go there right oh, away, yeah. I guess absolutely is uh, one of the things as we were making our post COVID protocols and how we wanted to operate and run our classes was we did not want to interrupt client experience. That was our number one thing. So every single move that we were making as we were working on a reopening plan was how do we do this in a way that either improves the client experience from before we had to be shut down or at least allows it to remain the same so when we looked for at like our temporary class I mean it's 3,400 square feet so if you really wanted to do that room mode in six foot by six foot blocks if that's what people are kind of using as their guide, guiding range is like right. we could fit a ton of people in that room uh, we decided on 12. Um, because it allowed us to provide every single person with a squat rack mm-hmm. where the programming has a strength bias, we thought that that was a necessity, and it is because it's a a strength bias program and and one of the things that we uh you know we fond ourselves like we we believe is why people come here is coaching, and being able to put twelve people into that room allowed us to have a coaching designated area that was far beyond that that would be considered necessary. So our coach has essentially a a six foot by 100 foot lane that works its way the entire length of the gym. And they also have a dedicated 10 foot by 30 foot square that as people are kind of um, funneling into class and stuff, that's their square. Mm. That's their safety net, right? right? So when they're within that square, no one else is allowed in that square. That is their coaching square where mm. our members have their own dedicated like uh, square where they're training in, and we don't interrupt that space. They don't interrupt the coaching space. That's their safety spot right now.
0: Right. How soon, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're now, we're recording this on June 16th, um, a, full, uh, a little over three months after the lockdown started here. Uh, I know it's a, a little bit different in every part of the country, but certainly in Nova Scotia, we were shutting down in around March 11th. Um, how, how soon into the lockdown were you already making moves to prepare for the reopening?
2: Five days before we closed. Uh, <laughs> good for you yeah we uh we started the week before we had to close um we have a daily hut, like a manager's huddle so our senior team meets every single day mm-hmm. um and it's it's a it, we can we call it a stand-up meeting um it's typically done like this morning i wasn't in the gym when we did it it was on a phone call and uh and and jason and kim and Riker. were um, we're on the call as well, but they were all here at the gym, and uh, and I essentially called into it. Anyhow, besides the point, we actually extended that meeting um, into an hour long meeting um, every single day the whole entire week before COVID. We had to close our doors for COVID, and it was at that point where we actually started. Not only like, I mean, re- the reality of it is, is the protocols that we were implementing the week before we closed. Are some of the same protocols that we still have in place today as we've reopened. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean that was that was something that um, you know I was at least a, a little bit aware of. I mean I, I'm not in a in a owner or management position um, in the box that I train out of, um, but I, I had a familiarity with some of the considerations that were going into what the process for reopening would be because there was certainly a lot of discussion about it amongst the the coaches and the owners at Osprey. But there was also a lot of discussion uh, among the members of the community online about what what a reopening would look like, what some of the restrictions might be. And in particular, one of the discussions that came up very frequently was how, at least initially, when the orders came to close, um, all fitness facilities were kind of lumped into one big, broad, general category. And the question then was, okay, well, when the time comes to slowly start reopening things, um, you know, will the uh, health and safety officials uh, make any kind of distinction between the different types of fitness facilities based on the services that they offer and, and the specific nature of that service delivery, as far as how it might impact the health and safety of the clientele that would be coming back? Um and I know some of those discussions occurred uh, here as well. So, I mean, when you when you think about the you know the the functional fitness model, where it's a small coached class, uh, typically the the way that these gyms operate is to have members reserve uh, their place in class, and so you would have a certain number of bodies that were going to be in the room as a max with a coach observing and and correcting movement. So, these types of facilities were already in a kind of a, a, a pretty good position to be able to enforce um, some health and safety measures that you can anticipate being necessary when coming back um, while the pandemic is still uh, a concern. Um, so were, were some of those discussions, I understand there were some industry consultations that occurred uh, in the weeks leading up to the reopening that allowed gym facilities to come back. How much discussion focused on how different facilities operate?
1: Uh I, I would I mean I'll tell you my opinion, it's easy to look back on hindsight now. I, I never it was never a concern to mine of of having the government come out and say certain gyms can open, certain gyms can't. Like I never thought that was gonna be a possibility. Um, just looking at it through their lens and, and seeing what was happening throughout the rest of the country and the world. I think one of the benefits we had in Nova Scotia was because our outbreak started so late um, our recovery happened late as well, which allowed us to see how other places around the world were reopening, what was going well, what was not going well. Um, mm. so I, my guess was always that they were going to allow all gyms to open at the same time under mm-hmm. the same kind of policies and procedures. And as long as they could adhere to those policies and procedures, they'd be allowed to open. So that was, that was kind of my opinion. I don't know if you had anything different, Dave, but that's kind of how we approached it here.
0: No, I, was your was adaptability good. to those to what you would anticipate those restrictions a comfort for you because technically I mean when I think about all the restrictions that have been put in place um they they're they're kind of a small blip on the radar really at least in terms of access control like to me that was the that was the most um Ups, that that was going to be the thing that would upset the the different styles of gyms potentially in terms of their day-to-day operations more than anything. I mean, when I think about, you know, I, I've got a membership at my functional fitness gym, but I've also got a membership at a typical globo gym where I'm basically just paying to have key card access to 24 hours of equipment. And I, I you know, there, there were no real access controls other than a key swipe. And so there could be as many as 100 people in that facility at any given time. So I could see where for that style of fitness facility, the restrictions that would be anticipated would be a, a significant change in their day-to-day operation compared to how these small coach class environments operate.
1: Yeah, I think you saw... One thing that got highlighted throughout the whole COVID thing, and it happened in the shutdown, it happened during the shutdown, and it happened in the reopening, and you're going to see it continue to play out over the coming months and years, is that you saw this uh, this separation happen. And the larger your facility, I think the more challenging um, each aspect of this has been, and mm. the smaller your facility uh, the, the less it it can impact you. So if you're running a, you know, I have friends of mine that own small boutique personal training studios where they only do one-on-one or one-on-two personal training sessions, their world hasn't changed at all. Um, you compare that to, you know, other friends of mine that I know that run big box clubs that function under the model that you just kind of suggested, they, their whole worlds have been turned upside down and they don't know if they're ever going to go back to normal. So, um, yeah, I definitely think, what thing that got highlighted was the larger your facility, the more the more obstacles you need to overcome.
0: And the, and the premise of what that uh, what that business offering is. I mean, when when you're specifically offering small group classes with a coach in the room, that's a very different prospect than uh, just access to equipment in an unsupervised or largely unsupervised fashion. Um, you know that that just completely changes the way that they have to do business because, as I understand it now, the uh, you know the Good Life's and the Fit for Less and and all of these types of businesses that run with more or less an open door policy with with their equipment now they're having to take reservations and limit the number of people that are coming into the facility at one time in a way that the, the functional fitness gyms with with a an actual capacity on classes already they already had that handled. That was something that was already instituted in their day-to-day anyway. So it, to my mind anyway, it made it very easy for gyms that already operated that way to shift and and just add additional layers of health and safety controls, as opposed to completely reinventing the way that they provide access to their service.
2: Yeah, I think to Jason's point, um, where we kind of ended up sitting is we're kind of an in-between um, so, you know, we have two spaces where we, we run structured classes. So mm-hmm. to your point, you know, people were coming in at a very specific time of the day for something, but right. on the other side of things, we also ran an open gym space. And so mm-hmm. in that space, there was no requirements or starter or end times. You could come in whenever you wanted to. Right. And, uh, and to, to a greater extent, it, it was certainly less impactful for us to end up creating specific like blocks where people needed to come in for that open gym. So our open gym spaces, like they basically run like you would a class, except they're based on an hour and a half instead of 60 minutes. And Mm -hmm. you don't have a coach that's uh, taking you through it. You get to choose what you want to do.
0: Yep. Well, and it's nice though too, because I think at least, you know, because you already had a class reservation system, uh, as part of your operations, anyway, adapting to adding that to another uh, track within your facility would certainly be a lot easier than you know suddenly having to scramble to come up with such a system. Um, you know, I, I think the uh, some of the gyms had a had a disadvantage there in, in that they they would have had to make a very quick decision on how to provide a reservation system that they once never really had to consider. I wonder if you, have you seen any kind of, um, I mean, this isn't necessarily the time where a lot of gyms will, um, focus on picking up new members, but there's still plenty of, of, uh, new members out there to be had. I mean, there's certainly a lot of people that are stuck at home that have, um, not had the ability to maintain their fitness. And so now that facilities are allowed to open, they're actively shopping for a way to use some of that energy, um, is, are the, are the protocols that you have in place and the unique nature of the way that you deliver service uh, now providing you with, I mean, arguably they would have been a, a selling feature before, but is it, is it now an enhanced feature as compared to the other options that people have to choose to, to go to a fitness business?
2: I think it's a little early to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we've picked up about 10 new members thus far, but we only opened the doors to new members starting on Friday. So the first week was really dedicated in ensuring that the protocols and procedures that we had put in place um, were running smooth as butter, that our members, um, I hate to reference it this way, but honestly, it was was a matter of like training them, right? And, And oftentimes, you know, if, even for humans, we're kind of herd, we have like a herd mentality. And, uh, you know, if, if a number of people, you know, one big thing to use this as an example within Blended that we've been very well known for is our cleanliness. And uh, since day one in 2013, you know, if someone drops chalk on the floor or spills chalk, the, the joke around the gym is like, shit, did Dave see that? Right. And, uh, and it, you know, that, you know, as soon as a new member came in and that happened, they're like, Oh, like they just kind of picked up on it and it became Mm -hmm. a part of like the culture. And so what we wanted to ensure that we did over the course of the first week was that we instilled that new culture within the membership that we currently had who are already quite well trained under what our current culture was. And it was only like, you know, going back to one of the comments that I made earlier when we started going down this route was our objective was to enhance or maintain client experience. Mm-hmm. And so the things that the client needed to do with regards to changing their current habits and routines ended up being very, very little.
0: Yeah, um, I was going to ask what, what does their process look like now that differs from what their process looked like before?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, So, I mean, to walk you kind of through it um, Mm -hmm. as they enter the door. So they're allowed to enter the facility 15 minutes prior to their start time, so their session Mm -hmm. start time, whether that's class or open gym. Um, So we have someone at the front desk. um, When the individual comes in, they step into a disinfecting mat. Um, So it's essentially a mat full of disinfectant, which cleans off their shoes. Mm -hmm. As they're standing there, the guidelines with regards to the – the Government guidelines that have been put in, in place with regards to not traveling and, and, and so on and so forth um, are there listed, and you know those are one of the things that they have to kind of check off as they walk through the door. yeah
0: go through the checklist of symptoms and and other con- considerations
2: exactly and then right. um, we installed the a sink in our lobby, so um, in order to again not inf- like not create a hassle where people had to go, you know, our, the majority of our, uh, the sinks and changing rooms and stuff are on the second floor and blended. So instead of having everyone go upstairs to the locker rooms in order to wash their hands, we wanted to make it super easy for them to be able to like walk into the gym, wash their hands right away because that was made so, so clear from all of the Um, specialists out there that that was the number one thing that we had to kind of do along with social distancing. So we installed the sink right in the lobby. They walk over to the disinfecting mat. They walk over to the sink. They wash their hands. And then we have a table set up um, like in the lobby and the table is filled with individual spray bottles and cloths. And you pick up your individual spray bottle and cloth and then you're directed to the gym floor that you're heading to for the day. So whichever class or session that you've signed yourself up for, you'll then be pointed to go to, you know, ground zero or the loft. And you head out onto that floor space. Um, the coach uh, who's coaching the class is on the floor. And to, to ensure that the class flowed really smooth and that there wasn't any um, major holdups or like, you know, getting in people's spaces, as you walk through the door, the coach will direct you and be like, here are the things that you need for the class. And and we would the night before we set up your square. So if you need a rower, for example, well, right. there's not a male and a female rower. So we put right. like rowers at your square, but yeah. things like barbells. So mm-hmm. you know, you might need a men's bar, or you might want a women's bar, or you might want a training bar. So when you walk in the room, it's like you'll need a barbell today. Um, you know, grab the bar. And so, like as people are funneling into the room, they're also getting their square, the equipment that they need for their their space um, mm-hmm. so that there's not like a massive like we're all going to the bar to get our barbell at the same
0: time. Does that mean there's plates in their stations as well? No. Nope.
2: So we've kept uh, we have three different spaces to get your plates from okay. um, similar to the getting your barbell. Um, if it's, it's like grab a couple plates to have at your station that you'd want based on the fact that today's workout has, you know, snatch versus
0: deadlift makes a big
2: difference. (laughs) There's 10 hang power cleans in today's workout, and we want you to stay unbroken with them. And so it's like, okay, so I'm going to need probably like a 10, maybe a 15, 25, but I'm certainly not going to need like, you know, 400 pounds of bumper plates.
0: Right. Okay
1: and i think that experience that dave's talking about going back to like the you know originally you talked about the opportunity of new members i think that's this this is a an issue that a lot of gym owners will struggle with for the next number of months and it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out long term Mm -hmm. in that balancing the opportunity of taking advantage of what exists in the market right now in terms of new members with delivering an amazing experience for your existing clientele base um and sometimes those conflict with each other. So I think that's one of the things I pride uh, our team in at Blended is that we want to make sure that the primary objective, like Dave said, is the experience of the people coming in to the, to the gym. And if that means at some point down the road in the not so distant future, we, ha- we now have a wait list for members and, and you just, we don't sell memberships because we're servicing the number of people we can service to our right. standards, then that's yeah. what it's going to be. But it will be interesting to see how other businesses in the market uh, choose to, you know, choose to balance those two often conflicting variables.
0: For sure. So um, the when the athlete comes in, they've got their gear. So they're they're now using that spray bottle and and, uh, towel to to wipe things down at the end of their workout.
2: Yeah, so they'll wipe all their gear down. um, But then after all the athletes have left the space. Um, mm-hmm. our coaches, um, and our staff then fogged the space. Right. So things like, you know, it's really, really difficult, you know, and this is one of those things where we went back and forth, um, when we were originally creating our protocols, you know, to create an experience and to make people feel safe. So how do you put, how do you wipe down a wall ball and then put the wall ball back into its place and not contaminate that wall ball? You know, we want you to wipe the wall ball down and do your best at, you know, cleaning it and and stuff like that. But going to the extent of having a fogger and fogging down the space where we uh, store equipment or even like pull up bars, you know, you could wipe down your pull up bar. But when you were through that workout, you grabbed onto the side rig, right? Right. So those are those are things that I feel as though often go overlooked. It's like, mm-hmm. well, if you put you know there's been a i'm sure you've seen it and and most of the listeners have of you know in the restaurant and they put the dye on the people's hands and yep. where did that dye end up over the course of a 1 hour meal if you did that in t- in the gym right the amount yep. of places that you touch is way more than what people would think about wiping down and so one of the things that we wanted to do was after every class We wanted to have the ability to fog down the space, do our due diligence and ensuring that the safety of our members and our staff, um, you know, for the long term were there. And that meant that we would fog down, you know, the the, where did we store? So the like the plate tree, right? Mm -hmm. You put all you can wipe down on your plates, but when you put them back, they're still going to be fogged.
0: Well, and it's nice that they get to take a little bit of ownership of the of the process um, in doing it that way too. Um, you know, they're, they they get to they get to witness their portion. They get to contribute um, while still having the the additional layer of and and health and safety measures that are in place with the fogging that occurs afterwards too. And you know, I, I think that's to me that's an important part of the reinforcement of everyone, you know, kind of doing the mental check in their head as to, yes, this is a safe environment for me to pursue my fitness.
2: Yeah. And wiping like a spray bottle and cloth is was not new for our members, which made mm. it easy to get them rolling. The only difference is instead of having one bottle and cloth for two people and that cloth going through two classes, now that cloth is, you know, a one use cloth and the bottle's when they come back out, um, we have a drop tray, and so they put their dirty cloths into a laundry bin. They put their dirty bottles into um, the the bin, and then our coaches then spray down the bottles, top them back up with uh, the cleaning solution. They do the laundry. They roll up a new cloth. They tuck it into the water bottle, so that when you come into class, you have a fresh water, like you have a fresh bottle and cloth ready to do your cleaning that has not been touched or contaminated by anyone else.
0: Right. That's got to make a huge difference to, um, you know, your, the, the timing of everything. Like, did, have you, have you, uh, cause you're still operating with hour long blocks for at least functional fitness, right? So has it, has it changed how you approach the programming of those time slots to afford your members the the additional time for cleaning, or was that already factored into the way that you were programming originally? Anyway, yeah it's factored it was factored.
1: in. Yeah, we also have the luxury, so we have a beast uh, a beast operator on staff um, in Kim, and she's been she's been amazing at like mapping out a lot of these logistics as well. Uh, so we factored those in, like cleaning times before and after not only for our members, but then also throughout the day with with our coaches as well. So additional things that we don't do every class, obviously, but things like washing the floor, uh, things like that, making sure there's time throughout the day in between class schedules for the coaches to get in and do a more thorough deep clean as well. So all those additional cleaning times, whether it's micro or macro, have been factored into the schedule.
0: Right. I guess because the the members were already used to participating in in that that uh, clean culture that you had already established, um, the you know, there there it must have been pretty easy for them to adapt, and and so the, the you know, I would think that the feedback would be very positive because it's it's not requiring a whole lot more of them anyway, and they're still able to get the the same value of the service that they're they're there for in the first place.
2: Yeah, it's it's. I mean. We're a week in, so the the impact thus far has been quite good. And, uh, you know, our goal, again, was to ensure that none of this affected our our, as very little, like, disruption to our member Mm -hmm.
1: experience. Right. It was important for us because, you know, when you have a business that has pursuing excellence on the front side, um, it... We tend to attract the type of people that that pursue excellence in, in their own way uh, in their life. And, and granted, that looks different for every single person that walks through that door. So there's people that, for example, want to train so that they can play with their grandkids longer. And there's people that want to train to make it to weightlifting nationals and, and everywhere in between. Um, so when... So it looks different for everybody, but everybody that comes to blended definitely shares in that pursuing excellence mindset, which doesn't stop at the gym. Like we recognize like they pursue excellence in the community. They pursue excellence with their family. They pursue excellence with their career often. So we recognize that when people come to, to these four walls, Dave often talks about blended being like your third place. So you have your work, you have home. And when you come to blended, like that needs to be a retreat for you. Like that needs to be an escape for many of our people. And Creating an environment where people can come in for an hour, hour and a half out of their day and forget about the craziness that's going on because we know what it's been like to deal with COVID-19 with the gym, but also recognizing that all of our members are dealing with the same type of stuff with their own jobs, with their own families, with their own kids. So um, giving yeah. them that, that space where they can come in and kind of forget, have things be as normal as possible for a brief stint during their day.
0: Yeah. I had a classmate this morning, um, say something like that to me after class. Um, she is, she's come back to the gym after a while off. Uh, and you know, this, she found that, you know, her, her first day back for a, an hour long class, it was the the first time that she was able to just not think about the current conditions. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I mean, she's lucky because both she and her husband are both still able to work. Um, she's working from home. He's still working, uh, downtown at his office. Um, but you know, it's certainly changed their life conditions and changes their priorities and things that they think about. But you know, the gym has become uh, once again for her, uh, a respite from all of that. Um, and I think a lot of members are are feeling that, which is probably why they were so eager to get back, especially after three months off. Um, you know, and, and everybody's kind of doing a, a hard reset on what their capabilities are though, which is, which is a fun experience I'm finding. Even, even I am, and, and I've got the benefit of a gym in my garage. So I don't really have any excuses to have lost a step in one direction or another. Um, but I still find that I'm, I'm coming back kind of tentatively because, you know, in my garage, I don't have somebody to compete with and it kind of changes my mindset when I'm working out now too.
1: I think that that concept I actually did a, a phone call with a, a, lady this morning that as uh, a potential client that's coming in to sign up for a membership here and, and she hasn't trained in in years and I said you know it was interesting because at this time kind of it's refreshing that everybody is almost starting in in the same spot so I told her you know we've had we've yeah. been training for years and took the last few months during COVID-19 and they're coming back now feeling like I feel like I'm restarting all over again so I think I think one thing people can take solace in is the fact that everybody's kind of in a similar boat right now.
0: For sure. And, you know, I mean, what little change that we've seen, I mean, uh, in terms of our programming at, uh, at Osprey, I mean, we've, we've adjusted kind of the timetable a little bit to afford a little bit of a buffer between classes, but importantly, we've, the the programming has been adjusted to reflect the fact that people have been off for three months. And so, you know, there's certainly no nobody going for maxes right now. And, and we as coaches are being very deliberate in the language that we're using when we're trying to help members make the right choices about what they're going to do within the workout and scaling options. Uh, and so the, the fact that they've been off for three months um, is... I think they're feeling the difference and that's helping them make really good choices as they come back and try to uh, build their strength and conditioning back up again. And fortunately, nobody's really going for it either. They, they know what their limitations are after this much time off, or at least fortunately most do. What are, are, there, are there any um, specific things that happen behind the scenes that, that uh, members may not really appreciate that have been challenging in being able to come back?
2: There's a list <laughs> <laughs>
1: start
2: with sleepless uh, nights
1: yeah <laughs> I like Dave can definitely speak to this it's different it's it's different being in my chair compared to you know the one that puts his name on all the checks and all, all the paperwork so there's a different level of stress that Dave has to deal with for sure I would say both. It was interesting, like both internally and externally. so like there were things going on behind the scenes within our team of blended so within our staff, whether it was our senior team or, or and talking about our strategies and our plans moving forward or whether it was our our entire team with the service we were delivering to clients during the shutdown versus when we're coming back um, but also like externally and seeing other gyms and other business owners communicating and talking and, and all the stuff that went behind the scenes at that level as well. So both internally and externally, there was a ton of moving parts um, behind the scenes that were happening to mm-hmm. get to the point of reopening.
0: Given that you started planning for the shutdown before the shutdown was formally announced, um, you know, I, I would have to expect anyway that you've already made at least some plans for you know wh- what happens if there's another uh, retreat with respect to the the pandemic, whether whether it escalates to the same level that it was at previously, or whether things maintain themselves where they are right now for a while, um, you know, it's it's got to kind of it's got to play with your your plans a little bit to some extent. You're probably having to uh, stay a little bit more fluid with your plans than you might have been able to otherwise. Um, you know, is it, is it concerning at all to you or because you've gotten your members back and you're able to, to deliver the services that um, you want to be able to deliver to, do you feel pretty good about things going forward uh, at this point, even with the slight unknown factor that might be hanging out there? I'm,
2: uh, I'm not one to kind of make decisions on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. A lot of the things that we've implemented over the years uh, have come through you know, a lot of time and hard work and really kind of, although it seems like we've always moved really quickly at Blended and making things happen, it doesn't mean that we haven't put in a ton of work on the back end to like go through every single one of those details. And right. I personally can say that the thing that drives me crazy right now is the fact that I cannot work in the time frame that I'm, I'm comfortable in, which is like thinking about that six month, 12 month, like range. Right. And uh, you know, not to say that we aren't thinking about six months and 12 months down the road, but more now than ever, we're like, especially this week and next week um, still it's day to day. And uh, it's, it's something that, you know, in seven years, we've never been making decisions on a day to day basis but mm-hmm. altering schedules, altering staff—you know—we've got a, a team of twelve, and uh, and so like, you know, everything from the point of someone not feeling great. Like, what do you do? And and you know, our it's pretty. It, I mean, it it honestly is pretty cut and dry. It's well, if you're not feeling great, you don't come in, and then we've yeah. got to get that covered. And if we're covering that, that means someone, you know, on our senior teams probably coming out of that, um, you know coming off out of the office and and heading out on the floor to cover um, a shift of some sort, which means that we're not spending the time that we want to thinking about what happens in six weeks from now or 12 weeks from now.
1: Yeah. I have a quote I use for, for our staff here often when it comes down to like decision-making and and I rely on it a lot um, at times when you're unsure of what to do, but I, I think you can only make decisions based on what you know. And the scary thing about right now is no matter how good you are at predicting the future, I don't believe anybody really knows with any real certainty what the next uh, 6, 12, 18 months are going to look like. And I think there's a lot of speculation. I think one of the good things for us is that the next three-month window is pretty straightforward. Uh, And I I would venture to guess that most gyms should be in that same situation where, you know, you would like for us, we have internal targets for for this month, we have internal targets for the next three months. And and those are pretty straightforward in terms of what they are and how we execute. Beyond that, um, there's, there's a lot of different ways this can, this can pivot. Um,
0: Yeah, you're subject to a lot more outside forces than would be typical.
1: Yeah. I hate
2: not being in control. And COVID has created a scenario where unfortunately it's not about making a educated decision, although there is the ability to like solve a problem, but mm. there's less control in the in the decisions that we get to make and they're being forced upon us with which mm. is which is challenging um to say the least.
0: Yeah, and runs counter to every instinct you have as an entrepreneur. <laughs>
1: Dave and i like Dave and I have talked almost pretty much every day, probably through this whole whole thing, and like the number of case studies of business best practices that have just been thrown out the window over the last three months has been mm. staggering like and that and I like both Dave and I are pretty optimistic guys and and we're I would say as daunting as the next number of months and years look We're equally excited about the challenge of of this, and the reality is for. For our generation, this is going to be, in many ways, like I feel, one of those moments where it will it will help define your for us like business career um, because there's very few other generations that have gone through something like this, and at least like I said, for our generation, this is the first of of its kind. So yeah, I think with that brings really great opportunity as well, and that's the way we've tried to look at it from day one is that. Although there's governmental force shutdowns and government regulations you have to follow that you weren't following before and like all these things that you have to overcome, it also creates some really great opportunities uh, out there to innovate and grow uh, in ways that you wouldn't have before.
0: Well, yeah, and, and if there's anything that, that this particular community is uh, pretty passionate about, it's maintaining a positive outlook on things and, and you know, the, the, the result of working hard is success and uh, you know that that's ultimately what we're all working towards and hopefully that winds up translating fairly well as things progress through this uh, even with some of those outside forces messing with our plans messing with our timetable a certain uh, amount well guys um uh I want to open it up to, you know, if you've got anything else you'd like to to jump in with, I, I really appreciate your time um, talking about it. I know it's, uh, you know, these are challenging times and, um, you know, I, I've been monitoring what you guys have been doing. Um, it seems like blended is really on top of uh, to the best of its ability on top of what you could possibly do under the circumstances, um, both in terms of um, maintaining uh, the the safety and sanity of your members <laughs> while coming back from from this kind of very unusual uh, and unprecedented circumstance.
1: No, it sounds
0: good. All right, Dave, Jason, thank you. Thank you, thank you, John. It's great. Time's up for this episode. I really hope you liked it. All that's left is the AM wrap up. My chat with Dave and Jason today revealed a couple of key takeaways. First, they're extremely committed to their community, pushing as hard as they can to deliver value for their athletes. Second, my view is that they have approached safety during the pandemic as a natural extension of the care they show for their members every day. Yes, it meant putting new policies and procedures in place to maintain or even exceed recommended physical distancing practices, but what they are able to point to from their membership is that these new procedures were readily embraced by their members. Not because they had no choice, and not because they were eager to get back into the gym, and undoubtedly they were, but because they've already fostered a culture of professionalism and safety that their members recognize and have internalized, making changes like these rather easy to absorb. Not every gym environment is so lucky. Compliance with safety measures has a lot to do with education and culture. These are important considerations because we're clearly not done with the pandemic. Many months of careful implementation and monitoring of the new normal remain, while we hope that the scientific community can establish protections for all of us, first in the form of widespread testing for containment of the virus, and ultimately in the form of a vaccine. In the meantime, we all have to do our part to respect the fact that the virus is out there. It's not about whether you get sick, it's about whether others will get sick. So, wear a mask whenever you can, especially in public. Frequently wash your hands Maintain six feet of distance or more between you and another person, and above all, be kind to one another. This virus and the changes in our society it has forced on us, some of these changes may never go away, is just another significant stressor on all of us. Looking after your health and safely getting back into the gym or working out at home is a net positive activity you can undertake for your mental health and your physical health generally but also remember that your health markers are positively affected in as little as a few weeks with regular rigorous physical activity. It's a hedge against aging, chronic disease, and as it happens, against the effects of a virus like coronavirus that cause significant respiratory and cardiovascular stress on the body. If you like this episode, please share it. Fitness folks love telling other people about the latest gem they've discovered, so please do me a favor, tell someone else that you think would be interested in listening to the podcast about the latest episode that you listen to. And if you'd consider writing a short review or uh, submitting a star rating on iTunes or Podchaser, uh, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. If you're interested in contributing an idea for a future episode, or just to provide me some feedback, hit me up at info at boxjumper.ca or direct message me on social media. I'm found with the handle at over 40 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you get the next episode of the podcast automatically and join my mailing list by visiting BoxJumper.ca for news and even some exclusive content. Thanks for listening. More to come on the Box Jumper podcast. Until then, stay healthy, wad happy, and wad often.